podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, yo, welcome back to the TMBA podcast. This is the show where, of course, we believe that building a business is one of the best ways to create more personal freedom in your life. You know what, boss man? This is the show for people that are doing it. And I know because I met hundreds of you last week. Yep. These events that we've been running for seven years now, we host them all around the world, but our marquee events, if you will, happen in Bangkok in October, and in Austin, Texas in April. And they just keep getting more fun for me. Amazing conversations, interesting people, inspiring ideas. I'm still sort of getting over it. I am uh, definitely over it because I'm back in my house and you are in the extension of the conference, (laughs) which is in Chiang Mai. So yeah, we had about, what was it, three, 350 people come to Bangkok this year, Dan? Yeah, 350 people. And I think 349 of them went to Chiang Mai afterwards. (laughs) And you were there with them, and I am back in my house in Austin, Texas. But it was an amazing, amazing week for me as well. To be able to hear the stories of the businesses that people are building and to come back to Austin just totally pumped up about our business. And I think that that's what happens to a lot of people that come to these events is you meet so many people you share so many good ideas, you have so many good times, and then you come back, you're like faced with all this work. You're like, okay, how am I going to implement all this stuff? And that's where we're at right now. Can I just do a rant before we get into this? Do I have a choice? No, you have to listen. Okay. You cannot Google this jam. You cannot go to Google and say, what is the landscape for multi-million dollar location independent businesses? This community does not exist at the end of a Google search. It exists at the end of a flight. You have to go see the room to see what's actually happening. Nine out of 10 businesses that are relevant for the listeners of this show would very much prefer that you don't know they exist, which is why there's a challenge in running these shows. There's a reason why when you go out to internet business shows, that it's the same 10 people doing the rounds, same spiel every week, because The people that have, oh, say, 15 remote staff all around the world and drop 45 grand to the bottom line every month and are really focused on the challenge of X, Y, and Z, like legit entrepreneurs don't want you to know that they exist and they don't care about you or promoting themselves as some kind of successful entrepreneur. Nine times out of 10, they don't think they're that successful. They're just dealing with challenges like any business owner, right? And so sometimes we get into this internet marketing vortex, this podcast victory lap thing It just simply doesn't represent what's actually going on in the room, hence the need for this episode. So what we're going to do today is talk about five trends that we see in the internet business space in 2019. Let's do it. Before we get into those five points, Ian, I just want to give a big shout to our three platinum sponsors for the event. And what's cool is this is sort of like a homegrown event. These sponsors are examples of the types of companies that are growing in and around the DC community or the community that exists parallel to this podcast. 
The first is Growth Ninja, who sort of hacked what is a very difficult thing, which is doing marketing services. And what Growth Ninjas managed to do is create an elegant, productized way to have a win-win situation between client and service provider, which isn't always the case when you're doing like classic SEO services or other sorts of marketing services. So if you're looking to grow your Facebook ads campaigns, check out Growth Ninja, but also check it out as a way that you can successfully start and grow a services business, which I know many people in the pod want to do because look, you can have an idea this weekend and be in business on Monday, but that's going to come with challenges that I think Vincent over at Growth Ninja has really effectively addressed by the way he does this incentive-based pricing and other things. I also want to give a shout to Revision Legal. Eric and John at Revision Legal represent this trend of professional services that are focusing on remote businesses, location-independent businesses, digital nomads and entrepreneurs. Like They are us. They understand us. But it's cool to have professional services that not only understand entrepreneurs, but are entrepreneurs themselves and have found a home here in the community. Finally, the Empire Flippers sponsored this year's conference. These guys have been on this show before they were the Empire Flippers. So if you want to talk about being a part of the community and taking notice of the trends that are happening and taking advantage of them, what they noticed is that traditional business brokers don't understand how to effectively sell internet businesses. So why don't we do it? Sure enough, now they're one of the preeminent marketplaces on the web for internet businesses. All right, Ian, let's get into the five internet business trends for 2019. All right, number one trend, Ian, going remote isn't just a luxury, but it can be an edge. Now, typically what we've seen in the sort of location independent space is that this idea of going remote has a lot of lifestyle motivation, right? I don't want to go to an office and my staff doesn't want to go to an office and I'd like to travel more and these sorts of things. Let's go remote and maybe we'll save a couple bucks too. And sure, that's all good. But what we're seeing is larger businesses. And the example that I'm thinking of that comes to the top of the mind is Monetize More. Now, Monetize More is a very serious company. Over 100 employees, they are in the advertising space and they're competing with real deal players. But the interesting thing is they're competing with them with a remote staff, a remote global staff. And meanwhile, the competitors have their 100 employees, certainly paying them a lot more, to sit in some office you know, in central Canada. When you think about it in that context, as this competitive edge, as a way to recruit premium talent, as opposed to yeah, maybe in the early days you say, well, I'm going to get talent on the cheap by doing this. This is definitely a trend that companies are using remote staff as a way to compete with serious incumbents. Dan, I was just looking at a list actually yesterday. It was the top companies from Y Combinator. So Y Combinator is an accelerator out of San Francisco. And it was the top companies that have graduated from that and where they're based. And I think it was something like 85% are based in San Francisco. And then the rest are kind of one in this state, one in that state. But the bulk of them are in San Francisco. I'm looking at that list just thinking like, at some point, this isn't going to be a competitive advantage. And I think actually, Dan, we are already seeing the downslope of that. 
So if you can imagine like trying to hire top talent in San Francisco, what that costs, Yeah, the level of competition is just insane. And so as bootstrappers, as people that are building businesses from our personal bank accounts, sometimes with friends and family money, we don't have $350,000 to spend on a developer, right? So we have to be resourceful. We have to figure out like, okay, so where can we get a top level developer that isn't in San Francisco? And I think in the future, like I said, I think we're already on the downslope of this. I think in the future, this is going to be a massive competitive edge. I think it will be a disadvantage to be located in somewhere like San Francisco in the future. I think generally speaking, having met a lot of listeners, hundreds of listeners, thousands of listeners of this show, that most of you undervalue what you have to offer. And the primary way you undervalue yourself is first off, you hire people to follow SOPs instead of hiring people to write them. Look, I'll implicate myself. I do this too. I'm in the same canoe. The other way we do this is we don't provide them with a vision. And this is something you brought up to me earlier today, Ian. It's if you want the two quick hacks to reducing your staffing costs and getting higher talented people on board for less, number one, get rid of your office and make it a perk. Number two, develop a vision and articulate it clearly. Final thing I'll say, uh, Dan, about remote isn't a luxury, it can be an edge is the unemployment rate in the United States, I think, is below 3%. So when you think about like the level of competition, it's quite high. I don't think it's so hard to have a job these days, right? So when you're trying to recruit talent, you got to figure out what moves the needle for people, right? And I think if the salaries are relatively similar here and there, you got to figure out what motivates people. And turns out a lot of people are motivated by freedom. The remote lifestyle, the ability to work from anywhere, the ability to set more freely your schedule is very appealing. And I think a lot of people are willing to give up income for it. Absolutely. And that includes top talent. So that includes these people that are in San Francisco. And so when you start to consider the different incentives that you can offer as a remote company, I think it's quite appealing because we all used to just have to compete on price. But things are changing now. The landscape's changing now. And with those remote teams, I think you can offer a lot more. And I actually think it's more in line with the kind of lives that people want to live. So in terms of remote being a luxury, I think actually it will be more of an edge in the future. Yeah. And Keen Graham's the CEO of Monetize More. And one of the things that he said, if you're going to have a remote benefit to your company, like lean into it hard, right? I think some of us are still a little tentative about that. You know, you don't want to get taken advantage of by someone who's going to ghost on you, or maybe people are going to be traveling a little bit too much and that's not going to be productive. So you kind of temper it. It's like, yeah, work from home, but don't travel too much or whatever, you know? And that's fine. You can have your policies and procedures or whatever. But look, if you're offering personal freedom at, to this level, lean into it and sell it. To see a global team of location-independent workers compete and do really well is inspiring. And I think it's the future. Final thought I'll say about Keen and his company. You know, he gave a good presentation at DCBKK. It's a big challenge to run a company with a 100 remote team, right? And you have different challenges when you have a building. But I don't want to like paint a picture here that just says like, oh, it's going to be so easy to find top talent. You're going to be able to pay them less. They're going to be totally motivated. No, Keen has set up some pretty sophisticated systems to get everybody 
not only engaged in the products, but talking with each other, time tracking, et cetera, et cetera. And these types of tools, this type of ideology, I think is like very new. So I don't think like a lot of people are talking yet about how to manage 100 people remotely because there's a bunch of new problems and it is challenging. It's really easy for us to sit on this podcast and be like, yeah, remote's the future. It's, it can be an edge. I think there's probably more challenges associated with running a remote team of 100 than there are in an office building in Chicago somewhere. You've heard Growth Ninja advertise their performance-based Facebook ad service before on this pod. But did you know that they have a generous referral program, and it's serious, that pays out 20% of their lifetime earnings? They have referrers making thousands every month from this program, and some of them have been getting those payments for years. Think about it, just how big these payments can actually get. Let's do the math. So the biggest invoice Growth Ninja has ever sent out to an individual client was $56,000 in a single month. So if you were the referrer of that client, they'd send you a whopping $11,000 just for that month. And that's just one referral. So let your friends know about Growth Ninja. It pays. And of course, every month after that, that the client works with Growth Ninja, you get paid as well. So if you know anyone already running profitable Facebook ads campaigns, and they're ready for some serious scale with a trusted agency that has profitably spent upwards of $65,000 for a single client in a single Sunday. This is serious stuff. Check out their referral checklist at growthninja.com slash referral. And a big thanks to Growth Ninja for sponsoring the pod. Number two business trend for 2019 is are we seeing a challenge to the thousand day rule? So now the thousand day rule is something we talk about a lot on the show, which essentially suggests that if you start a business and it works out, it'll take you about three years of full-time effort to replace whatever your professional income was with income from a business you own. So Ian, a lot of people out there on the internet are talking about this brave new world of the internet business in 2019, that there's more competition, that there's more saturation in niches that certain bubbles are blowing over and you know all the bitcoin people are sad now and or whatever you know there's a lot of talk that maybe this isn't a great time to get into internet business that maybe it takes longer than a thousand days now maybe it's harder and my observation you know and i i find a lot of those arguments compelling when you read them in but one of the things that i'm noticing in the room when i look across the hundreds of people there and i think where they were the year before and the year before is that it's not true that it's getting harder. I feel that it's getting easier from a mechanical point of view. And that's like the structure of running a business, the structure of acquiring clients and developing products that are valuable and invoicing clients for those products or customers. All that mechanical stuff is getting easier and faster to generate income and to do it at scale. But one of the things I've noticed is that the mindset stuff takes just as long as it ever did. And that might be the hardest bit. You might even make a case that because of the way the internet has changed, the mindset stuff's getting a little harder, particularly like a lot of content on the web is going the direction of social. And I think a lot of social contents are like really misleading. If you're not like really seeing the matrix and understanding like what's true 
or the true mechanics at play and how they contribute to growing a successful business. If you just take a lot of that content at face value, yeah, that can take your mindset off the rails. Your mindset has to drive the right sorts of mechanics at the right sort of time. Like that's what being an entrepreneur is all about is understanding systems. If you're over attached to a business model that you can't be competitive in, you don't have the resources to be competitive in, then that's just a mindset issue. That's not a mechanical issue. I do think the mechanics are a little bit different. So I read all these same articles that you read, Dan, about you know potentially becoming harder to start a business and whatnot. And here's the way I interpret it, is it's more competitive. It's more competitive than it was 10 years ago, of course, right? So we were ranking things in Google back in 2018 that I don't feel capable of ranking again, right? I just don't think some of these things are possible. And I've said this a lot on this show. I think that the internet is shrinking. In the 90s, the catchphrase was the information superhighway. Now I think it's the shopping superhighway. (laughs) I think that the internet is almost exclusively, especially Google, reserved for shopping. If you type in keywords, you will get served for the first couple pages of Google the people that are paying the most. That's not a secret anymore. And so to break into that, it costs more money and it's more competitive. And I think that that's why people are a little bit more upset is because it felt a little bit more free 10 years ago. It felt like the opportunity was there. Like I could be on the front page of Google. Now it's very hard to do that. We'll bring up social again. If you think that SEO is your acquisition channel, then sure. Why would anybody start a business in 2019 thinking, I'm going to like build a product and then get that product keyword to rank number one on Google? Unless you have like a lot of resources or reason to believe that that's the way to do it. It's not how I would start a business in 2019. That was the gamer strategy, right? And I think that that strategy worked for a long time. Sure. But now people are starting to realize that they just don't have the budget to compete with Wayfair. And you know, those are the only people that Google are interested in taking money from because they've got the most money, right? And so, yeah, if you're trying to start a business that competes with those guys, then you're screwed. Now, this goes back like to this conversation that we've had also many times on this podcast, Dan, which is like, is there a better time in history to become like a writer or an artist? No, absolutely not. The amount of people that were making money writing 500 years ago was like zero, right? <laughs> The amount of people that are making money as an author now, today, it's amazing. Like No one would have ever predicted this. So I think that the internet is changing. I think that the opportunities are changing. I think that people are pissed off that the quick money that they could make five years ago isn't available anymore. So let's move on to number three, Ian. The money is more apparent than ever. And by money, I mean investment capital. It feels like you know five years ago, The bootstrappers and the venture capitalists were just on different sides of the lunch table, you know? And now all of a sudden, well, a lot of those bootstrappers are angel investors now. And a lot of them are starting these funds that sit in the middle. And the venture capitalists are getting more sophisticated and finding ways to get involved in companies at earlier stages. And it just feels like that distance is slowly, slowly coming together. It used to be that if you were going to move to San Francisco and take on venture capital, you were growing a big company. And if you were going to go to a weird conference in Bangkok and hang out with 300 entrepreneurs, you weren't. And that's just simply not the case anymore, is that a lot of those businesses that are coming from the mastermind tables and those workshop rooms or whatever, they are of serious financial interest to institutional investors. It's a complex process. Like There's a bunch of different kind of money out there. And how you take it, what you do with it, who you interact with, 
how golden your handcuffs are. It's all very relevant. You know, I met with a couple people recently, Dan, that are not happy with the decision they made to take money. Absolutely. This is a very complicated issue. Number one, it's never been easier to get money from other people. These people are starving for an investment. That's a clear mechanic that's changed. I completely agree with you. Like the money to start Amazon businesses or just businesses that like five years ago, no one would give you a round or whatever, or angel investment to do it. Now, people are, that have been through this process, they really want to get involved, if that makes sense. Like people that have built a couple of Amazon businesses or that built a couple e commerce stores that now all of a sudden they're like, they understand how profitable that is. And so if they can get involved in a startup company, they want to. Yep. Never been easier to get money. But then also, I think that there's a lot of complications with taking the money. And I think a lot of people are jumping into these situations, not understanding the implications of what it's going to look like five years down the road. All right, Ian, number four, internet business trend for 2019. We'll call it the Ferris flaw. At dinner tonight, one of the dinner guests even said, I feel like there's a darkness or a heaviness that wasn't in the community before. There's a lot of talk around a theme of stepping out of your business or figuring out how you're going to get meaning in your business or where you're going to find your passion in your business or whether it's going to come from a side project. There's talk of things like the void. The Ferris flaw is when you deconstruct, and of course, we're referring to the 4-Hour Workweek, Tim Ferriss's seminal work on growing location-independent businesses. Essentially, what happens in the book is that this concept of a career gets deconstructed. And Tim, Mr. Ferris, the author, separates this idea of earning from a career. And essentially, the idea is that, well, when you conflate the two, they're deeply inefficient. Like, you know, why drive up and down the highway? Like, why go to an office? Why do all these things when you can optimize your lifestyle, you can put it all on a spreadsheet, and you can figure out a way to earn a same amount of effective income with much less time. Okay, the flaw with that thinking and the flaw with building businesses with that thinking is that it's deeply unsatisfying. Number one, for starters, this idea of a career, in other words, is a very robust one, one with a strong sense of what you ought to be doing and who you ought to be doing it for and why you're in the game in the first place. And, and I think just a lot of people are struggling with this idea of okay, you got this optimized business that pays you what you said you wanted to make, and now what? Because an SOP is not going to run a business. So you got to figure out, like, do you have enough passion and vision to train somebody else to do it? Maybe you can get meaning that way. But if you don't do that, and you're just paying a bunch of regular employees to run your business, then you're still sort of like worried about this thing all the time that you know is sort of stagnant because you're not invested in it. And also, you can't quite forget about it because it's your livelihood. So now you're in this like weird, gray, voidy middle space that a lot of people have found themselves in, trying to figure out maybe some tips and tricks to automate yourself further out, but you just can't automate yourself out of that worry at night that your business is going to take a shit when a bunch of people who don't really care about it or just looking at SOPs are running it for you. One more thing I want to say about this theme of a sense of darkness, Ian, because there is this sense that you know, as a community of business owners running remote teams and doing it globally and stuff, it's a relatively young community. And I think in the early days, you'd say, 
I mean, this is kind of back to the thousand day point. You'd say, yeah, there's all these like jokers and scumbags and fraudsters and people who aren't serious or whatever. They show up. Oh, they still exist. They still exist, but you know, they're easy to spot. And it's like, they go out in a flame of glory after 12 months of BS or whatever. They don't stick around. It's easy to say, we're not like them. You know, we aren't those people. We're the people who care about entrepreneurship and we care about growing great businesses. And we're different from cheap, short-term thinkers who just are all high on their own supply and show up and then they don't succeed. Or just posers who care more about the lifestyle than business and so they flame out too. But what I've noticed is that really good, talented people who made it through their thousand days, like some of them aren't surviving either. And sustaining a life of entrepreneurship and keeping a business successful and meeting all the goals that you have for your life and for your family, that's really hard. And a lot of people don't succeed, even if they were really talented or good or whatever. So I think that that can add a little bit of darkness too. Can I bring us out of the darkness? You can bring us out of the darkness. Because I think what you were talking about in the beginning here is is a little bit more interesting for me, probably because it hits home a little bit closer, which is uh, something that happened in 2015. We kind of lost our passion. We lost our vision. And so we sold our business. I see at this conference, I see very smart people running successful seven-figure businesses with no one that's engaged in the business like they are. And I think they're looking for somebody. They're looking for many people to come into the business, to get engaged, to bring it to the next level. And that's one of the things that we struggled with, Dan. In our business, we were the only people that were kind of really able to take it from like a million to three million to up past that, right? And I think in retrospect, what we could have done is we could have got some really smart people, maybe some people that were smarter than us, in the position where they can make responsible decisions and grow the business to the next level. And so these founders are sitting here with these amazing platforms, right? But they're not motivated to take it to the next level. So here's my call to action for you people that are in a position like that. Get smart people involved in your business. And here's the reason why I think you're not doing it. I think you're scared to show people that you haven't been working for a long time. I think you're scared to show people that you really don't have a vision for the future, but that's okay. Because if you bring smart people in your business, you show them what's going on, you explain to them earnestly, like, hey man, here's the deal. Like I built this amazing business. It's making me tons of cash, but I don't know how to take it to the next level, or I don't know what to do with all this money, or I don't have a vision for the next product. That's exciting for people. No one that I know that's really good and that's really motivated to take their career to the next level is going to find that embarrassing. They're going to think like, what an amazing opportunity I've been gifted right now. How am I going to help this person do that? That's my call to action, Dan, to take yourself out of the darkness, to find yourself in a place where you're not lonely successful, to find yourself in a position where you're not taking on side projects. Maybe your next side project is training your next two key employees. I love it. And I love this term, lonely successful, like a hyphenate. It cracks me up. (laughs) I love that call to action. It's a way to find meaning and passion in what you're doing is to see it in somebody else's eyes. I remember being in my early 20s on the other side of that conversation, just thinking, I've been waiting for years to get my hand on the wheel, you know, to get the keys to the Jeep. And there's so many people out there for whom our businesses are amazing opportunities. And 
there's a lot of people out there that tell you how to do this and everybody's got to find their own way. But what works for me, what's worked for us, Ian, is you know, there's going to be people that say, oh, I know how to take your business from here to there. Honestly, I, I'm getting to the age where I'm just kind of like, bullshit. Growing this business requires like detailed, nuanced conversations. And what's worked for us, you know, to the degree that it has, Ian, is finding people that we want to talk to, that have a great deal of care and energy, and they can learn stuff on the fly. You know, they don't have to come in with years of industry experience or whatever. Totally. I just tack that on to say that it doesn't have to be so intimidating. There's a lot of people out there like that, that want this opportunity, that want the types of opportunities that those of you who are listening to this show are generating. Number five, Ian, internet business trend for 2019. Wow, this isn't really a trend. This always happens to us, man. We get to number five, the steam blows off. (laughs) It's like the point is halfway there. It's like, oh man, (laughs) don't leave us yet. I think there are some good ideas in here, Dan, but it's not a trend. What is it? I think we're getting a level of confidence in what works at these events. It's crazy to say that seven years after doing it, but you know, in the early years, it was just trying to like keep the thing from not falling apart, you know? Lately, though, we took on challenges because we had certain tastes. Like, for example, like this year, we didn't have any professional speakers at the event. You know, traditionally at an event, you got like, you put the person's face up on a billboard and you say, you get to come kiss the ring if you pay the money, you know? Yeah. And we were just like, uh, you know, whose ring are you going to kiss that's going to make any difference at this point? Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> this kiss the ring thing is interesting because you're either at these conferences, you're either kissing the organizer's ring, right? Like you're like, I'm so successful that I'm putting on this conference. No one at this conference is a bigger business than me. Y'all should kiss my ring. Or you're kissing the speaker's ring. And that's certainly not the case at this event. We are not the most successful people at the table at this event. There are plenty of other people that have bigger businesses than we've ever had. And then the second thing that we did this year is, yeah, we didn't pay any big names to come in and tell everybody how great their life would be if it was theirs. <laughs> this was an innovation that we made, and I think it worked fairly well. Everybody on stage had a business. They were not professional speakers. And I think a lot of times people get sold to these types of conferences with the idea that they're going to come, they're going to meet this person, their life's going to change. You know what? You're inspired for about 30 minutes after the talk. And then you go home and you realize (laughs) your life still sucks and that person isn't with you anymore. And they're not going to help you grow your business. Wow. You are on a real rant right now. You are just really going for it. I like this fire in you. (laughs) I'm I'm tired of watching people pay $1,000 to go watch somebody talk about how to grow a business and it's not relevant to that person, right? This is the process we've been working on as a team for a long time. I mean, there are over 15 people that put on this event. And part of what our team does is we sit down with each and every speaker, each and every slide. And if you listen to last week's episode, you heard some of the principles that we follow. But what we found is these principles really set the tone for the community and for the, the event as a whole. And now you got speakers coming in that are CEOs of big companies like looking forward to going through this process because they realize that if they go through the process, they're going to have a message that is ultimately more compelling. Let me just share a little bit about that. So we work with a guy, Jeff Picaro, and we've been working with him for several years now. And basically what his job is at this conference is to 
help speakers tell their story in a way that DCers, people that are members of our community, the Dynamite Circle, can understand. And that's important because in the past, we've brought in speakers before, Kiss the Ring speakers that have come in with their message and it's fallen flat because they don't understand who the community is. So that's one of the reasons why we're leaning towards more of this like homegrown story. And we're finding that people have two reactions. One reaction is, I can't believe you're wasting my time with this. I've spoken several times before. I don't want to sit down with this guy. Red flag. Yeah. I know exactly what happens after that conversation. We get out in front of that one now. We don't have that conversation anymore. We don't have that conversation. Also, we don't have those types of people. So, Well, that conversation happens directly before I got to stand at the back of the room and watch somebody bomb. Exactly. The guy that we brought up at the beginning of the show, Keen from Monetize More, he probably worked harder than anybody on his talk with Jeff. And this guy has 100 employees. And why was that important to him? Well, it was important to him for a number of different reasons, I think. The most being that he wanted to connect with people in the room and share his story in a way that was meaningful. And so why put in all this time to talk with Jeff and to craft your message in a way that people understand? Because he cares about the community, he cares about the messaging, and he cares about other people succeeding. And that's not something that you generally find with these Kiss the Ring people. And that's why, Dan, I'm excited to have these speakers be homegrown. This to me is like an exciting innovation in a conference because if I'm being frank, I'm not really even a big fan of the keynote format where you put one person up on stage and everybody listens to what they have to say. It's a really difficult thing to do well and to be relevant to so many different sorts of people. So now what most of our conference is, is meetups with practitioners that are either guided discussions or workshops. And what we found is that there's patterns to what makes those things go well too. So spent a lot of time this year talking about what it means to be a good moderator, like how to guide an effective structured conversation. So these are things that I'm like really excited about continuing to work on. Here's a trend. I got it. I finally got the trend. After five minutes of our ranting, yeah. What works when you're trying to find other people that are relevant to your cause and to your business and to your life is authenticity and not like some vague concept of like being authentic. I mean, actually just being clear about where you're at in your life and business, like that's a great start. And what really doesn't work is putting on fronts about who you are and what you think you can do and faking it till you make it and all that stuff. Like that does not work well. It might work well for a short time. It might work well with one or two people, but people are going to find out that you're full of shit pretty soon, sooner or later. And the way to not be foolish shit is to be honest about your struggles and then to address them. I guess it's always sort of annoyed me about the way people interact at conferences and just generally speaking on the entrepreneurial web is that you're not fooling anybody. You might fool some people for a little bit of the time, but eh, just be yourself. You just brought up a great image. Do you remember the Christmas classic, Bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton? No. It's a Christmas classic for me. Billy Bob is this shopping mall Santa. So he gets off from being Santa. And uh, of course, he goes like straight to the cigarette and booze. And of course, the cigarettes and booze like start to bleed into the to him playing Santa, right? Of course. <laughs> and so that's kind of the image that you're bringing up for me, right? It's like, you can play Santa Claus for a while at the mall. 
without anybody noticing that your your breath smells like <laughs> bourbon, but like eventually your suit's going to start to reek like cigarettes. I love it. And no, we'll just leave it like that. And so to recap, the five business trends we saw at this year's DCBKK for 2019 is remote isn't just a luxury, it can be an edge. That the mechanics to the thousand day rule are getting easier. It is getting easier and some and faster to grow an internet business just based on our observations. Number three, there's more money in the space than there ever was before in terms of funding, and there's more opportunities to get funding as bootstrapped entrepreneurs. Number four, the void, the darkness, the fairest flaw. It's like, this is real life too. You know, it's a contact sport. It's not just this make-believe world of laptops and beaches and millions of dollars and riches. And now it's serious stuff. I mean, this is, can you save for your retirement? Can you make it work? Can you support a family? You know, a lot of people are asking those questions. And, you know, is it fulfilling? Is what I'm doing fulfilling? Finally, people are going to smell bourbon on your breath when you dress up as Santa Claus. <laughs> Bottom line, man. <laughs> be authentic. Be yourself. Here's the thing about putting up a front. If you put up a front, you know, not a lot of people don't know they're doing it, but whatever. You put up a front and then people give you negative or positive feedback to that front and you're ultimately changing the front. So be yourself. Sometimes I worry about doing these reflection episodes because you know, we're talking about this room with 350 people in it, and most of the people that listen to the show weren't there. But I hope that some of these patterns and recognitions will spark some ideas in you. And honestly, I hope that someday you'll join us in that room. It's a truly magical place with a bunch of people who are being authentic and who are sharing their own knowledge. And that's one of the things I mentioned at the top of the conference, Ian, is the community itself depends on the contributions of of the people who come, like people sharing their stories and their expertise with each other in a straightforward, no bullshit kind of way. And that's what makes the whole thing work. And I think part of the reason people do it is maybe back to point number four is that they get a sense of purpose and meaning from helping others. That's part of the reason we do it. And it's also hard. It's really hard to do what we're doing. And so people do it because they know it works. Yeah, you can pay 2000 bucks to kiss the ring a couple times and then you're out of money. So then you start getting real with yourself and going to workshops and having difficult conversations <laughs> because that's what's going to get you there. All right, Dan. Sounds good. Well, we'll talk to you next week. All right, boss man. We will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.